0: ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Daily Roundup. Of course, uh, I'm Sid Fazard with Rebel News and Adam, my co-host today, uh, both Albertans. And right now we're going through the midst of an election. We're going to get to all that. Adam, how you doing today?
1: Oh, I'm doing wonderful. I love the, the self-identification as an Albertan. Now, it's truly taking hold. Welcome home, buddy. Thank you
0: very much. And speaking of home, uh, for a lot of our viewers, the most convenient place to watch this is on Rumble. Uh, Not only are there paid uh, comments that we read near the end of our uh, live stream today, uh, but there are also new emoji features that we've been exploring recently and we hope to share that with you guys. Uh, Just a a more fun way of engaging with our audience and uh, obviously the censorship on YouTube. something that we do try and avoid and for us to say what we want to say without those restrictions in place well you got to check us out on rumble and that's i think the best place to watch us for the time being adam would you agree with that
1: 100 percent. you know it's really great to actually put your money where your mouth is uh support those platforms that that are what YouTube used to be, like YouTube built itself on being a platform where everyone would have this equal opportunity to express their voices. That is clearly not the case anymore. So, well, if you're joining us on YouTube, we're so happy to have you. I know it can be comfortable and convenient to just have that app open it. There's nothing wrong with that. But do consider checking out Rumble or one of these other platforms that gives you an opportunity to support us and to advocate for and support networks that are pro-free speech. They don't care where you stand on a position, they just want to give you a platform to share it.
0: Yeah, no, I I still remember the good old days of YouTube. And uh, uh, you know, in a sad way, it's never gonna come back on that platform at least, but there is chances on other
1: platforms. Indeed, indeed. who knows, even with uh, Twitter now, they're starting to open things up. Elon Musk wants to turn it into an everything app. So uh, much much, uh, on the horizon possibilities, there's clearly an appetite for uh, whether it be Rebel News, whether it be other free speech-oriented outlets and platforms, um, so so I think that that the the capital-minded people out there are are like Rumble are eager to sort of meet that need, provide people with that service that they are all clamoring for. So uh, do check it out. Uh, lots to get to today. This is effectively our Alberta edition during this election period, anyways. Um, but we're not just going to be talking about Alberta today. We're going to start off talking about last night's debate and some Alberta issues. For folks who didn't get a chance to watch our live stream last night um, of the election debate and all that coverage, um, then we're going to get into some some very sort of topical things, including Bill C-21, the arrest of uh, Josh Alexander, uh, UCP, MLA's getting uh, ejected from the party, all that good stuff. But I think first off, unless you've got anything else to add, maybe we can just start diving into some of these clips from last night's debate and discussing. So uh, we'll start with uh, Rachel Notley's opening remarks from the debate last night, and then we'll provide a little bit of feedback.
2: This election is about trust and it's about leadership. You know you can't trust Danielle Smith. So my offer to you is this. I will work every day to be the premier you deserve, creating jobs and diversifying for the future. I won't raise your taxes. I will cap your bills. I won't uh, uh, fund a war room. I will fund an emergency room. And I won't ever make you pay to see a doctor. I'll protect our health care, protect our mountains, and protect your pension. And having learned today that Danielle Smith broke the law, I will also protect our law and I will never break it. When I say something, I mean it. And that's the difference between Danielle and me.
1: You know, one thing that's really interesting is normal people when they're looking down at their notes, it's to confirm like a specific, like oh, the number. They're talking, they're expressing their emotions, and then they'll look down at their sheet and they'll come up with like eighty-two thousand or whatever. They'll come up with a specific number they had to pull from their sheet. There's a couple of moments during the debate last night where Rachel Notley was like, "As your premier, I will earn your trust." <laughs> like it was so bizarre. Like that's what you have to look down to read. Um, you know that. Ezra did a whole stream about this yesterday, so I'm encouraging people to go back. But just briefly, let's touch on this conflict of interest report Um, for folks who didn't check out the live stream or, or who aren't familiar with the story. For weeks now, the NDP, CBC, a number of other outlets, all potentially up for litigation from Premier Daniel Smith um, have been stating that she repeatedly contacted prosecutors, um, that she's been pressuring for Pastor Pavlovsky Pawlowski um, for all charges to be dropped. Um, an in-depth analysis that included looking at millions of emails found that beyond a short conversation with Tyler Shandro, she didn't contact or pressure anyone in any way, shape, or form. Um, so th- she was exonerated on that those sort of allegations, which is what people were really upset about. What she did do is have a five-minute conversation with her justice minister who informed her that what she was hoping for is not possible, and then she dropped it. And as it turns out, later on, Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky was charged. Um, so for most people viewing this objectively, unless you wanted it to look really bad, um, all you can say is, Perhaps she should have had like a formal meeting instead of a quick phone call, but nothing came of this. She accepted the recommendation that this was not something she could act on. So this 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 ruling was like well, technically there was. A conflict of interest i i don't know how valid that that regul that ruling is maybe it's a technicality but there's there's virtually no consequences they're saying they're going to undergo a little bit of training uh to make sure that this this type of communication doesn't happen again but this is not serious all the headlines saying oh egregious trudeau level um conflict of interest those are not reporting what's actually taking place in this report what's stipulated in this report what did you make of all that
0: report actually on a bunch of access to information documents in relation to the Coots blockade. Uh, And as I was wrapping up that report, there was a final access to information document exactly about this. Um, Did Danielle Smith reach out to federal Crown prosecutors, etc.? And the answer was no. There were zero documents found showing that she had reached out or done anything like that, that the CBC, I believe, had alleged. So and at the end of the day, what did she do? She had a little conversation to be like, hey, is there anything we can do about this? No? Okay, next topic. That's the the gist of my understanding on that. Is that yours as well, Adam? Because uh, at the end of the day, it's not like she called and said, hey, what can we do about this? We're not allowed to do anything about this. Well, we're gonna do something about this change. Like, you know, that that didn't happen. Um, But this story does show that the CBC
1: lied. Yeah, and the, the comparisons to Justin Trudeau, who pressured somebody repeatedly, had numerous people contact them, and then fired them when they wouldn't cave, um, this was uh, uh, quite the opposite. It was, oh, we can't do this? Oh, okay. Um, and, and they moved on. So uh, much ado about nothing, it seems here. Uh, and if you read the report, it very much is, a, well, technically you were speeding, but it was about by five kilometers, so you're not getting any demerits. That's what this amounts to. Um, curious timing that it comes out the day of the leaders' debate, um, But, but... On that note, I think that Daniel handled it very sort of effectively. I, we, I think our headline says something to the fact of uh, uh, Smith smokes Notley. It was interesting, though. She she beat her, and I think even in liberal outlets are, are saying that Daniel Smith probably won. CBC called it a tie, which is a clear indication that Daniel Smith won. Um, yeah. But she didn't smoke her by attacking her personally, which is what Rachel was doing all night. What she did was she talked about policies talked about issues. Um, and I want to jump into our next clip as we transition now. One of those key things that that she's talking about is safety, supporting police, restoring uh, order of law, uh, and all that sort of stuff, those, those critical concerns for people living in cities who are seeing stabbing, shootings, all of this violence unfolding in cities where this did not traditionally happen. So if the team's got it ready, I'd love to roll that next clip.
3: First off, we wouldn't defund the police. Uh, Again, Ms. Notley has uh, so many defund the police candidates on her platform, on her candidate roster. I've lost count of them as well. The the frontline services are demoralized and we are giving courage and confidence back to our frontline officers. We've embedded sheriffs in both Calgary and Edmonton. We're adding 100 police officers in both Calgary and Edmonton because we believe that people have a right to take public transit and feel safe. They have a right to go downtown and be able to have a nice dinner or see a game and not worry that they're going to be randomly attacked. And they certainly have a right to walk past an open doorway without having to inhale secondhand crystal meth smoke. We have an approach that is going to make sure that we crack down on public
2: safety and crime and make sure that people feel safe again.
0: All right, thank you, Ms. Smith. We've got about 90 seconds for this free debate. Ms. Notley.
2: Well, I need to start by saying when it comes to defunding the police, the UCP actually defunded the police.
1: Interesting, uh, interesting rebuttal there from Notley. Not sure how valid that is. Um, well, but Smith well,
0: actually uh, follows up in that conversation and she uh, addresses that point about defunding the police, and she opens the conversation up into the direction of uh, how a lot of this was uh, funding that went to the medical industry in a sense uh, to provide that kind of mental health needs those kind of mental health needs and stuff like that it's not all police work and maybe the right option is to have police step away from a very intimate situation with a person who's clearly struggling with something um i don't know if you know i I think that's just the conversation that was had there and that's how it opened up uh it wasn't just a bang, you know, UCP defunded the police, like, and, and I yeah. stress that because as we've seen across the set, especially in the States, like, like full units and divisions are being shut down because they don't have the funding because of these politicians who are actively defunding the police. So it's, yeah. uh, it's funny that she would come back with that.
1: Well, and you, you see with the NDP, like, they want to be pro-oil and talk about building pipelines while chasing businesses out of the place, and and all their rhetoric and candidates are anti-oil. They talk about safety while a bunch of their candidates are defund the police. Um, folks who are all for. Certain types of protests, but not. They they want to wield police as a political arm. So sometimes they're happy to call them to beat up protesters. Um, other times they want them defunded. So there there seems to be this glaring uh, duality within uh within progressives where they they want these people militarized, but they want them disempowered. It, That's not how the world works. It's sort of one way or another. But there is, it is interesting, and we're gonna talk about sort of addictions later, but it was incredibly interesting to see at the recent UCP announcement on safety, where they're talking about rampant drug usage and and the need to get people not with a a free, safe supply of, as Mike Ellis referred to, perpetual palliative drug care, where they're just giving these people drugs because violence follows that. As you see these, whether it be overdoses, deaths, drug uses, mass consumption, you see crime increase in those same areas. So the UCP, it's funny, it's very much a talking point to the left to provide social workers or helpers or additional venues that aren't policing to help people. But it seems like the UCP is actually doing it. So there's a, there's certainly a glaring contradiction there. Um, I, I want to talk about the, the addiction stuff now, but we'll wait till later because we have another story that ties into that. Um, we also have a, a clip coming up here. Uh, and we've only got about four or five days. If you watch the debate, we'll be moving on soon. Don't worry. Um, but uh, Smith uh, highlights some new investments coming in to this province. Um, and, and Sheila was impassioned about this the other night. So interesting to see Notley talking about new investments coming in while under the NDP, we saw so many head offices clear out of Edmonton. And in the minds of many, that's one, there was oil price issues. There was all this stuff. It was There was talks about where you could ex- uh, extract oils cheaper. But ultimately, the, it suddenly emerged all these concerns when you had an anti-oil NDP in government. So if we've got that clip ready, we can jump to it.
3: I would say that we have increased the amount of investment that has happened in our province. We have a $760 million renewable diesel project announced by Imperial. We have $600 million that came in from McCain's. Our Pathways Oil Sands Group is investing. We have an increase in the amount of drilling rigs. That is not a sign that people have lost confidence in our economy. You know what it is a sign of? That when you stand up to Ottawa and you tell the industry that you're going you're gonna to stand up for them, they actually increase their amount of confidence and they increase their except that
2: we have fewer corporate headquarters in calgary in alberta now than we did before in 2019 before you announced your incredibly uh, uh spendthrift uh corporate handle
1: you know what's interesting is that later on she goes on to say that we're not drawing as as many investments as ontario like that's not a thing you say when you are running to be the premier of this province being like, we should be more like Ontario. Um, listen, the, the the facts and the record. And I, I know that this is almost a UCP talking point, but Daniel Smith is saying, look at her record. Uh, the NDP is, is running away from their record. Um, if you look at the facts, if you look at the the layoffs, the, the lack of investments, the fact, and this is the most glaring statistic because this isn't just a little anomaly, that the, that the number of people coming into the province under the NDP decreased dramatically. Um, we saw that population growth decline effectively right as soon as they came into power because people got the sentiment that Alberta wasn't open for business.
0: Well, and especially... A difficult thing to talk about or to diagnose in a sense is the last three or so years that we've had with COVID and everything going on. It changed Mm -hmm. so many things. I mean, we have a new premier because of the actions that were taken by government uh, during that time. And, and, you know, I can only imagine what it would have been like if Rachel Notley and the NDP were in charge. I mean, they were calling peaceful protesters domestic terrorists, right? Um, yeah. And I'm kind of jumping around. But you guys, Adam and, and uh, Sheila, Ezra, you've been in the game for a long time. You've been Albertans for a very long time. Uh, you, you know Rachel Notley. You've seen her in action uh, as mm-hmm. somebody who's newer to the province. I, I'm kind of coming into this fresh, uh, in a sense. You know, watching Smith uh, and Notley and Notley talking about, you know, the previous uh, uh, experiences of hers, It it just doesn't seem like she has it. It, 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 she doesn't have that, that same confidence, and everybody knows what she did last time. And I think she yeah. knows that everybody else knows. And she's trying to avoid it, but she she seemingly is unable to. Uh, whereas you see these new issues arise with Danielle Smith, it's like, it's nothing. I mean, the, these are really the, the smallest of issues that could be had with a premier. So at the end of the day, as a, a new observer coming into this, uh, hearing these remarks from uh, Miss Notley, this doesn't seem like she's got that punch, and and I uh, I genuinely just yeah I don't think it's there for her.
1: Yeah, and I think it's because Danielle Smith and she's she's openly admitted this an imperfect person who makes mistakes. Um, again, I, I appreciate that she hasn't been entirely apologetic about comments she made on the radio show, because, by the way, when you're doing stuff like this, you just talk about ideas. You can even propose ideas you don't agree with for conversation. And, and that has happened sometimes. Um, but what what the difference is, is the UCP far from perfect, certainly um, over the last few years under Jason Kenney, um, extremely far from perfect. But even though there was this quote unquote pandemic, even though there was all these extremely difficult circumstances, the UCP still managed to do better than the NDP not during a pandemic, which is staggering. It's unbelievable to think that. There should we should be making excuses about how things were not managed well and how there's a massive like like fiscal concerns and how how they accrued more debt than the NDP because of the pandemic, but we're not doing that because they did a better job. So Danielle Smith, I think, is confident because she has the facts in her corner. Rachel Notley knows she can't run on a record. Their policies aren't aren't as strong. Danielle Smith often refers to them to, to them as gainsmanship, where if if. Danielle says she's going to try and build 15 schools. Uh, Rachel Notley says, I'm going to build 40, uh, which is not realistic, but that's what she does. So um, I think I think Rachel Notley is lashing out because she she isn't confident in her positions. I think that's also the reason she's not willing to answer questions from media outlets, even outlets like us that ask tough but fair questions of everybody.
0: Well, and that's a huge thing, right? Like the, the next premier, who are we going to have? Are we going to have somebody that we can actually challenge when they do things that the general public thinks is uh, not okay? Mm-hmm. Or are we going to have somebody who, like Rachel Notley, who simply just tells all of the reporters asking the, the question she doesn't like to leave? I mean, that's a very dangerous precedent. And that's what she's shown during uh, her, her run up to this election.
1: Yeah, especially once they've formed government like that, that's going to be increased. It's another thing for the opposition at private campaign events to say, we're not letting you in. Uh, you're at a private facility, whatever. No, it isn't right, it's it's morally abhorrent, but you're at a private place running a private campaign event. Technically, you can say you're not welcome here and you're trespassing. But once you form the government, you know, and we've seen it with Justin Trudeau, and it's completely unacceptable, categorically and undemocratic in every metric. Um, that's what's going to happen here in Alberta and that's troubling even the progressive outlets out here will have the opportunity to question daniel smith incessantly about just about everything and i think that's good even though we may not agree with them i think that the the broad range of diverse opinions um assuming that they're law-abiding, um, they should be presented and, and the the leader of a province or a country should be presented with those challenging opinions because that's how you stay on track. If you're somewhere in the middle of the extreme positions, if you're being challenged on all fronts, that's a good way to stay honed and make sure that you're representing people more broadly. If you exclude anyone who disagrees with you, well, then you get more and more radicalized government.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm certainly not looking forward to any radicalization of government. That's probably the worst kind of radicalization. It um, is. But, but on top of that, we do have some more clips. Do you want to pull up the next one here?
1: Yeah, let's hop on this this next clip. And I mean, this one's just factually incorrect. This is uh, Rachel Notley implying that Pastor Arthur Pawlowski was charged with calling on violence against police officers. So, I mean, this is shocking. I'm assuming Pastor Archer's lawyers have probably seen this, but let's play it. Who was started by bringing
2: in the Sovereignty Act, an act that her former finance minister very clearly said was going to chase away investment because it undermined the rule of law. That of course was before she was found today to have broken the law in an effort to support the private interests of someone accused of wanting to um, promote violence against the police. All of that chases away investment because it is such a profound compromise to the rule of law.
3: Ms. Notling, it's you and the CBC who need to apologize for Albertans. You flat out lied for several months saying that I and my office had contact Crown prosecutors. She said that is absolutely not true. And she also confirmed that I did not direct or interfere in any COVID-related cases.
1: So that that is... I'm sure, probably open to a a lawsuit implying three times. Yeah, that's three times.
0: Arthur Pulaski said peaceful during the demonstration uh, during that speech he made in Coutts, and this is revolving around the Coutts blockade incident uh, where Arthur Pulaski a day later was charged under the critical infrastructure defense act. Uh, And there was a court case that recently happened. Uh, Ezra Levant, obviously a a commander in chief here at Rebel News. He was in Lethbridge to cover this court case as well. Um, And yet here, Rachel Notley is. Uh, alleging that Arthur Pawlowski was trying to have people commit violence in some way, shape, or form. When his charge was a critical infrastructure uh, 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 charge. Uh, It it wasn't anything to do with him assaulting people, it wasn't... uh, And it was all about him allegedly, possibly convincing people to stay at the blockade, even though they had decided earlier in the day that they were going to stay at the blockade. What does this have to do with violence, Rachel Notley? It doesn't.
1: And, And particularly, like as you mentioned, repeatedly stating peaceful, and the charge being about not even not even blocking infrastructure himself, but allegedly, and this is going to be appealed clearly, inciting others to continue blocking infrastructure. That like and and, and that's uh, clearly. I mean, we saw we were there firsthand. Um, they opened that road. If there was like truckers with livestock or anyone needing to get through, they they weren't actually even fully blocking the road at all times. But what's wrong? What, what the problem is here is is Rachel Notley will characterize and mischaracterize and misconstrue I don't know if she's misinformed here which as, as someone who's spoken to this for weeks is embarrassing or if she's overtly lying but this is factually incorrect and it ca- it, it characterizes Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky in a horrific light to say repeatedly that he incited violence against police officers is unbelievable so it'll be interesting to see what comes that I'm sure there will be a response coming but I did want to highlight That troubling clip. Um, Two more clips and then we're going to get into some more uh, broader news beyond the election. So bear with us. Um, uh, I think the next clip that we're going to jump to is the uh, clip of Premier uh, Smith um, slamming Rachel Notley over her governing record and the massive debt that she accrued um, over 70 billion dollars and her unwillingness to stand up to Jagmeet Singh and Justin Trudeau.
3: I know Ms. Notley likes to show grainy videos of things I said while I was on radio and uh, the reason she does that is she doesn't want to run on her record and the reason she doesn't want to run on her record is it was an absolute disaster. She racked up 70 billion dollars in debt, more debt than any premier, all, actually all premiers combined in Alberta's provincial history. She talked about deception. Did you remember her running on a carbon tax in the last election? I sure didn't. And that increased the cost of everything. We eliminated it, but Justin Trudeau wouldn't let us keep it off. And now uh, Ms. Notley has not stood up to her boss, Jagmeet Singh in Ottawa and uh, worked with us to say, don't increase that, that carbon tax any further. And in fact, certainly don't increase it 300%. No one has any credibility talking about affordability as long as they support a carbon tax, which is going to increase the cost of everything. Yeah,
1: yeah. it's 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 interesting, like you, you look at, and we talked about this yesterday, like Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh are not popular at all here. And it's incredibly interesting to see that, that particularly in Calgary, that Rachel Notley and the NDP are, are potentially, according to some polls, gaining a little bit of ground. It's it's unbelievable. You have ideological doppelgangers, whether it be Trudeau, whether it be Jagmeet, whether it be Rachel Notley or Calgary's activist, Mayor Gioti Gondek. Calgarians oppose the ideas when they're represented federally. But then when you have radicals with those perspectives locally, they seem to get they seem to get elected. I I, I can't quite wrap my head around why that is. I know municipally there was vote splitting and there was there was there was some sort of strategic concerns that may have contributed to that um, but what do you make of this this sort of notion that someone who's espousing incredibly unpopular views in the vast majority of the the province is actually threatening to form the next government
0: it's a little daunting you know <laughs> like I can I can't lie I don't know what to think of that because uh, I got here. I actually got here uh, and became an Alberta resident uh, right as the uh, restrictions exemption program was coming into place. I thought I was uh, escaping into salvation. Yet, you know, <laughs> that turned out to be otherwise. Uh, but that—that that was the UCP. That was Kenny. That was the Texas of Canada, right? That was my my vision of it coming in, in a sense. Um, and, and to think about what it would have been like if Rachel Notley was the one who was who, who was taking care of business in that sense. I I never would have come to Alberta. I I guarantee you, I never would have set foot in Alberta. And if she gets elected, well, that's going to be a a scary thing. And I'm I'm sure, like we saw last time, there's going to be hundreds of thousands of people that leave again.
1: I want to jump to this next clip as well that – Daniel Smith, um, for some people during the leadership uh, races, some of her opinions weren't necessarily popular. And I had the opportunity to question her. Don't worry, team, I'm not asking you to pull up the clip from that. Um, But I had the opportunity to ask her why she uses this sort of zero emissions language. Um, And and it is interesting to see in her rebuttal, she's like, listen, we can work towards uh, carbon neutrality towards 2050. This close deadline is not at all uh, feasible. So uh, perhaps not popular among everybody, but, but a, a more measured response. So if we can pull that clip up and then we'll discuss a little bit.
3: Aaron in the the intro talked about shifting away from petroleum products and I would say that that is the the Notley view of the world. That is certainly not my government's view of the world. We believe that we are going to reduce emissions, not that we are going to reduce oil and natural gas. We know that with all of the exciting things that are happening with carbon capture, utilization and storage and all the green technology, we can continue to have a robust, vibrant oil and natural gas sector for years to come. Uh, What we want to do is make sure that we're finding more opportunities for our products, having bitumen be used more for asphalt so it reduces the amount of emissions, having LNG export, which creates a brand new stream of income for us. We know that as long as we keep our energy industry strong,
2: we're going to keep Alberta's economy strong. Ms. Notley won't do that. I will. Okay, we'll leave it there. Ms. Notley, your rebuttal. Um, Well, you know, there there was actually some elements of what Ms. Smith said that that I actually agree with. You know, I want to create jobs producing energy. I want to create jobs upgrading our energy And I want to create jobs reducing emissions. And reducing emissions is absolutely the focus. It's not about reducing or uh, production, it is about emissions. The difference is, is that Ms. Smith and her caucus have spent much of their career pitting emissions reduction efforts against economic growth. And when we do that, we fail on both.
0: Well, notice notice how she's talking about energy, not oil, not gas, she's talking about energy. That's her follow-up and that's her trying to placate the Daniel Smith. She's chasing Daniel Smith because Daniel yeah. Smith owns it. And, and Notley, I mean, uh, what was another thing that uh, Smith brought up last night was the fact that uh, the the just transition, was it the just transition idea or the one uh, preceding yeah. that, uh, that Justin Trudeau was advocating for, he got from Rachel Notley. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's really hard to, to see the credibility in Rachel Notley at this point from my perspective.
1: Well, and you know, I, what's interesting, and I, I love I've, I've been at a couple like small town halls early on where there's 20 people there. And, and Danielle Smith gets really excited talking about this, almost comedically. So she's kind of a nerd for this super nuanced uh, energy stuff. Well, and and I, I appreciate that, that some of what she talks about. Um, she's like, no, we're going to keep selling oil. We've got the best oil in the world. Let's keep doing that. She's talking about actually bringing new industries in. Like we can do carbon capture and sell that while exporting the cleanest oil. And I think that that's an approach. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead.
0: That's exactly it. Why not sell the environmentalists the tools that they're looking for? Yeah. Right. Okay. You want to do carbon capture? Oh, look, I got the best carbon capture. Looks like you're going to have to buy from me. You know, I don't know if that's, you know, Smith's plan or not, but why not do it better than them just so that when they come back to you, you know, calling for, you know, the end of the world and whatnot because of global warming. Well, you can say, look, <laughs> we're the ones who set this whole operation up. We know how to take care of our stuff. You know, we, we know the smell of our own stink and you don't.
1: Yeah, you know, fear mongering is a tool often used by environmentalists to st- to sell technology that isn't quite there yet. Um, we often refer back to the Chinese sort of leap forward manifesto, um, which actually resulted in the deaths of millions because the technology wasn't there yet. Listen, I I think every one of us probably, if it got to the point where for a very affordable rate, you could slap a panel on your roof and get free electricity forever, we'd probably all be on board with that. If these ideas were commercially viable, they would take off. And I think what Danielle Smith is saying is, let's be the place that gets these technologies there. We don't want to completely abandon our industries. There are countries all over the world, including Canada, because of our size, because of the climate here, um, that are going to need oil, that are going to need petroleum, that are going to need these, byproducts. Roads need to be built. Plastics that result from the byproducts of these processes are needed. These products are needed and will continue to be needed. But Daniel Smith wants us, as Notley says she does, but really what she wants to do is scrap all of our industries. She wants us to use the wealth and opportunity generated to also start controlling, taking over and dominating these other industries. Be the place that everyone goes to, For energy capture, you can buy your energy from us, we can pay to clean up the air, all that stuff. And I think that those are opportunities that it doesn't matter where you are on the political spectrum. If it makes sense, and if it makes money, and if it keeps our taxes low, keeps houses affordable, creates jobs, people are going to be on board with that. Uh, And I think on that note, we are way overdue for a quick ad break. Um, So if you don't have anything else, I think we'll jump over to an ad break.
0: Right before, right before we yeah. go to that ad break. Yeah, I just want to say, Adam, you know, the, the electric vehicle market in Alberta, it's just explosive, right? With all of this cold weather, you know, there's just so many electric vehicles that really put in that work to get people where they need to be when it's, it's colder than death outside, quite literally. So, yeah, I, I want to thank all the electric car producers for all of their great work providing us with nothing on that end. Well, let's go for an ad break.
4: The media said that Canadian truckers were Russian agents controlled by Vladimir Putin. Justin Trudeau called them extremists. The small fringe minority.
2: We are here out of love for our families, our communities.
4: And the government put the country under martial law to stop them. But what's the real story?
1: If you can't see the future in clear outline right now, you're not paying attention. But the truckers in Canada can.
2: And I want you to know that I'm not
4: afraid. For the first time, the woman at the heart of the trucker convoy speaks out. Hold the line! Tamera Leach, passionate organizer, loving mother and grandmother, proud Métis and proud Albertan, and defiant political prisoner jailed for daring to criticize the government. Tamara Leach. Her new book Hold the Line. My story from the heart of the Freedom Convoy is the inside scoop of what really happened. You've heard from the media and the Convoy's critics. Now hear the truth from the woman who inspired the world and made Justin Trudeau blink. Visit theconvoybook.com to order your copy now
0: spike protein in a post-pandemic world is something we all have to grapple with, whether you've had the virus, you've been vaccinated yourself, or if you're around those who were. The Wellness Company's Spike Support Formula is a daily supplement that can help you feel your best. And then stay that way. Go to twccanada.health to get back to that pre-pandemic feeling with spike support. Use coupon code REBEL to save 10% off these doctor-formulated products, which are rooted in science. And for a limited time, your first month's membership is only 99 cents. That's twccanada.health, coupon code REBEL at checkout. It's time to put your wellness back in the driver's seat.
1: Tamara is the best. Yeah. I, I think everyone should yeah, pick know, a copy. Go ahead.
0: I've never actually, like I've seen her, but I've never actually had a moment to have a conversation with her. So that that is still something on uh, the checklist for me.
1: Yeah. Pick up the book, guys, really. One, I mean, she, Tamara's the type of person. Hopefully, I'm not speaking out of turn here, but she loves people so much. She's not like a militant activist, she's a strong woman, don't get me wrong. But almost every time I see her, and she sees somebody from the convoy, or she's talking about something, her just her eyes well up with tears. I'm used to it now. It's sort of like a, a running joke. What are you crying about today? She is such a kind person, um, and she's such an emblematic figure of the 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 rebellion that took place, that re, that resistance, the the freedom convoy. Because she was a reluctant participant. She was not a political activist. Um, she's not someone who set out to make a point. She's somebody who was simply pushed too far, and then said, "Listen, I have to." Do something so uh, do go out and pick up that book um, I, I want to get into, we've discussed this, uh, we discussed it last night, we're, we're probably going to continue discussing it, certainly the mainstream media and the NDP want to discuss it, but uh, UCP candidate Jennifer Johnson um, was forced to apologize and then eventually was actually ejected from the UCP and will be running, um, unless unless she's uh, decided not to run, but I don't think that's the case, will be running and sitting if she's elected as an independent. Um, lots has been made about the sort of quotes of her comments um, but we actually have the audio purportedly, someone posted this on Twitter saying this is an actual recording of the comments. So if we could, I, I think it's about two minutes, maybe not even. I think we just play those comments in their entirety so people know the context uh, and then we can just discuss it uh, briefly. So uh, for folks who haven't heard of this yet, um, some, some of the comments that have led to the ejection of Jennifer Johnson from the UCP.
5: Yeah. Enjoy. I only put a teaspoon of poop in them, but it doesn't yeah. matter because there's only a teaspoon dry. in a whole batch. So you
1: pick which one is good.
5: Yeah. yeah. And yeah. They, they obviously put the cookie. This is not a true story.
4: <laughs> so <laughs> the like, idea yeah. we can be
5: yeah. top 3%, but that little yeah. bit of poop is what wrecks it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? And it is when we've got furries in the classroom. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. These kids who are identifying as cats and the teacher puts a litter box in the classroom for them. And girls saying, I'm not a boy anymore when they're seven years old. And transitioning at 14 years old and getting mastectomy, double mastectomies, and getting chemically sterilized when they can't even go to a liquor store and buy a beer. And yet we're allowing them to be chemically castrated and sterilized. This is more than a teaspoon of poop in the cooking batch, right? And so it doesn't matter to me. It does not matter that we're in the top 3% of the world. Who cares if they got an 89 on chemistry 30 who cares that they're entering post-secondary if they're chemically castrated and by the age of 18 90 percent of these kids who were gender this uh, yeah who were struggling with this have real have g- grown through it they got over it just like i did when i was six and i had three brothers and ripped my shirt off on the farm and my mom said put that back on and at six i didn't look any different than my brothers and I, was, I pouted for a little while. I was really mad at my mom. And then I realized I should probably put my shirt back on because I said, Well, I don't want to be a boy or I don't want to be a girl. I want to be a boy like my brothers. Well, you're not. Now get your shirt on and go and play. That was the end of it. And I went, Okay. So I went and played. And I, I'm pretty glad I did. Well, so
4: wear a parade, now we say, You
1: know, that we can, we can cut there. Me? That's the core of the sort of part that was being quoted. And it's interesting. Before I had the opportunity to hear the audio, the way CBC quoted it uh, was to suggest that she was saying trans people are feces. Um, That is not at all what, what is stated there. And I think anyone for listening or reading skills, what she's stating is it doesn't matter if the entire school system is the best performing and everything about it is the best. If they're pushing ideologies that are resulting in these outcomes, that's, and I hate I hate the language used, but that's the poop and the brownies that spoils the whole pot. So uh, when I first read this, uh, I, the initial comments, I really have no problems with any of her criticisms. These are things that we know are happening that are problematic, and most people would probably condemn transitioning children, double mastectomies, um, litter boxes, which they try to debunk, but apparently even our own Kian Simone, in his small town in Ontario, there was a litter box in one of the schools for a kid. Um, so... They'll try and debunk this and say none of this is happening. Well, there's legal proceedings on this. These things are happening right now. And so most of her comments there, they've been characterized as as bigoted or hateful. Um, Those are probably comments that most people would deal with, and none of them are personal attacks on individuals. It's an attack on confusing children. The comment about uh, poop and the brownies, which I hate saying, but in my opinion, from what that's laid out there, it clearly stipulates that the the problematic ideologies that are infiltrating schools are undermining the value of the quality education. What do you think?
0: Well, and I don't, you know, this is, I guess, a question that I have, and I don't say this as necessarily a criticism of anybody's, you know, right to, you know, educate their child on whatever they might educate them on. But in my head, if I'm going to, let's say, take my child to some kind of uh, weekend class, you know, an hour a week, they get to learn karate, they get to learn Uh, you know, business, they get to learn how to cook, whatever it might be. Why would I spend an hour every week confusing them about sexuality? Um, Because, uh, you know, there's the argument that, oh, you know, they're confused. They need to support this and that. Well, at the same time, they are being confused by these events. And I think it's a very dangerous precedent. Um, And, you know, maybe it's a little uh, cross to talk about it with such uh, uh, words as, you know, fecally related. But uh, at the same time, you have to make sure that children are protected because there's a reason why things become legal at 18. Children just can't handle certain things. They don't have the wherewithal to defend themselves against certain certain things or certain ideologies. Um, So at at the end of the day, I think there is has to be some protections for children in regards to things like sexuality, simply because if you take somebody who is purely a blank slate, I mean, yes, you can change that and you can change their beliefs to be whatever you might want them to be. But at the end of the day, is that going to be the best thing for them? I mean, Adam, what's your take on that?
1: Well, you know, just interestingly, I'm just I'm just re- reworking my way through The Abolition of Man by C.S. Lewis, um, and there's an entire segment about education, um, and he says something to the effect, I'm paraphrasing, is of if you sent your kid to the dentist to get a cavity film and he came home with a head full of Marxist ideologies and a hole in his tooth, you'd be pretty upset. Um, that's what's happening in these schools. People, parents are, are sending their kids to schools, hoping they'll get some basic foundations, some history, um, some hopefully... Uh, age appropriate education and what they're getting is a whole bunch of radical ideologies being pushed by adults Um, who who aren't addressing kids on an age appropriate level and are very often, whether it be the parents, whether it be the adults, people taking their kids to these drag shows, whatever it may be, they're trying to like score some sort of imaginary social capital by being the most woke parent in the room, by being the most woke teacher in the school. Um, But what they're not doing is actually educating the kids. I don't really care if you're a boy or a girl or trans or whatever. Um, We can sit here and learn about history. We can sit here and learn numbers. Those are things that should be focused on uh, in the school math science biology all of these sorts of things which which uh the the former ucp um hopeful talks about is we need to get back to biology we need to get back to basics um i think at this young young age we can we can leave those conversations those identity forming conversations to family to the home and we can focus on education it doesn't need to be all you know what ideology has permeated so much of our lives progressivism seems to be taking everything over um, But we've seen it. We've seen it happen in Ontario. We've seen it happen other places. The second you start pushing it on kids is when parents push back. So, uh, yeah, I'm hoping that there and another concern, maybe perhaps election wise, I'm hoping that this isn't the start of every candidate who's ever made any comment um, is going to get kicked out because the UCP cannot play that game anymore. We've seen that federally. We've seen that even with, with the UCP before and prior conservative governments. Some comment from years ago being dug up or a comment that, frankly, probably most people agree with a great deal of her sentiment, though might have uh, worded it more eloquently. Um, we can't accept that those positions like let's not transition, little kids, are radical and bigoted. We cannot accept that narrative and, and particularly a UCP government. Uh, cannot. Speaking of radical, if you don't mind, do you have one more thing on that and then we'll jump to our next article?
0: Well, I was actually just going to say uh, there was an event that took place in Calgary recently yeah. uh, exactly on this subject. Uh, I was there as a camera. We had a reporter, Alex Dollywall, uh, and Key and Simone, another cameraman there as well. Uh, and it was quite um, an, an event, I guess you could say. Uh, and this is pertaining around Josh Alexander. Some of you may know the name, uh, but maybe we can just uh, pull up that clip and uh, give you a little insight into the day's events. <laughs>
1: can cut the audio we can start commenting as this goes because it goes on for quite a while but it was pretty shocking i know from what i saw and you can probably comment on this um it seemed like a, a sort of a crowd encircled josh um who was speaking uh for those who don't know he he was sort of outspoken on some of these trans issues and has garnered quite a bit of opposition for those perspectives i think he was uh, suspended from his school a catholic school for harboring shockingly catholic opinions though i don't think he's catholic himself but that, that's an aside. um so this crowd uh, some of them I know have assault charges. A few of those people already have assault charges and a history with police. Um, and he was simply trying to leave as things escalated and then they started pushing him, restricting him, preventing him. You could hear, I believe, Nathaniel Pawlowski saying, why are you pushing people? We're just talking. Um, is that is that effectively what happened from your perspective? So
0: as Josh and Nathaniel and uh, their you know, group of a couple individuals, um, they were walking up uh, to the school on the sidewalk and already the Antifa members had lined themselves up uh, along the sidewalk uh, in front of the school and they were just resting along the wall, basically. Uh, and then Josh showed up, they arrived uh, and, oh, we got the, uh, the next clip up here. Uh, yeah, Josh showed up and they started getting physical with him. Uh, they tried to prevent him from using the sidewalk and moving forward to set up where they had a speaker system. Uh, they just wanted to set up shop on the sidewalk, I guess, and, and speak to those who may have come out of the school to hear. And there were quite a few uh, students that came out to listen. But uh, before they could get to that and before they could have a lot of great conversations with students that they n- had near the end of the day, uh, this whole uh, thing happened and the Antifa members and a few specific individuals uh, from the, here got uh, uh, charged uh, with the assault, or They got charges laid uh, after the event, uh, as you can see, clearly shoving him around uh, uh, obsessively.
1: Yeah. And it seems like he's trying to be very clear that he's not doing anything showing that uh, the person you can see there, someone with a number of charges against them for going after uh, people in the past. We've had some encounters with some of these folks as well. So uh, I think I think I kind of joked on Twitter about the you know, Calgary police's arrest, the Christians, and, and ask questions later. So he was arrested, released shortly thereafter. Um, and then some of the other people ultimately were arrested and charged. Is that correct?
0: Detained. Josh technically, I guess, was detained. detained he wasn't, you know... Yeah, you know, whatever. They put cuffs on him, they put him in the back of a paddy wagon, whatever you want to call yeah. it. Uh, and we've and seen they held all of
1: Antifa yeah. members, so yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Um, uh, although there were charges actually laid to some of the individuals that were assaulting him.
1: Yeah. And then I want to get to, I don't know if we have the clip, but uh, the Bible burnings. So Josh was handing out Bibles to people. Um, If we don't have that clip, that's okay. We can talk about it. But I know they were on social media. If they pop up, I'll I'll stop and let those air. But handing out Bibles and sort of good faith, having uh, these conversations. And then these individuals took to burning Bibles within the city. Um, our own Alex Dollywall I think, put out a tweet effectively stating that, imagine if this was the Quran, um, this would be completely unacceptable. But these people on Calgary streets, not to mention with a wildfire <laughs> crisis raging and a fire ban, in effect, we saw people burning Bibles in the city. Um, if that doesn't put the bow on the package of who the bad guys are here, um, I don't know what does. It's just so categorically disrespectful i mean i suppose you're free to do it but is that the right thing to do and also burning books uh, is that is that the 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 anti-fascist way of doing things or no i think it was the fascists who tended to burn the books but hey what do i know uh, very few comments from politicians condemning this justin trudeau i i highly doubt he's going to be making a trip to the location here to condemn the these hateful acts as by the way uh, burning bibles not the only thing that Maybe not these people, but certainly some of their ideological counterparts do. They also like burning churches in this country. Um, so, yeah, and uh, extremely troubling, uh, especially the fact this was the high school I went to. Um, this th- These kids would have been my age a couple, I would have been this age a couple years ago. Um, and to see students from this school presumably doing this, ripping up Bibles, burning it in the street, they're not making a point. This is just pure wanton destruction. and It's really heartbreaking to see, to be honest.
0: Well, and you know, as you see there, it was uh, he lit it on fire. Uh, he he stomped on it as well. They ripped up the pages. Um, and, and as you can see, Josh he's just hanging out, having his conversations. Right? Uh, yeah. It's a bit of that yeah. uh, turn the other cheek mentality, I suppose. Um, yeah. But at, at the end of the day, it's not going to stop him. Uh, where are these people going to go? That you know, they burn books. At the end of the day, how far are they going to get in life?
1: Yeah, exactly. Let's get to because we're running tight on time here. This Marco Mendocino clip. On Bill C21, obviously Bill C21, extremely troubling. It fails to address the core issues of illegal gun trafficking, and it punishes law-abiding firearms owners who subject themselves to extensive training and daily police checks in order to participate in sports shooting, hunting activities. Uh, they're the most screened people in the country. Categorically, they continue to be punished by this liberal government that gets soft on crime, soft on gun crime, soft on gun trafficking, soft on the porous border that's allowing so many of these illegal, already illegal firearms pre-Bill C-21 that are trafficked into this country. This government is failing on every front and now they're just continuing to punish those of us who have one or two sports firearms and are safe um, and go out occasionally on the weekend, maybe shoot some targets, shoot a deer or two. Uh, extremely troubling. So if we can pull that clip up. We just passed Bill C-21 through the House of Commons. This is the most significant gun
0: control legislation in a generation. It's gonna strengthen the national ban against AR-15 style firearms. It's gonna put in place permanently a national freeze against handguns. And it's gonna introduce red flag and yellow flag protocols, which will reverse the alarming trend between domestic abuse and the presence of guns. And now we're gonna take this bill to the Senate and hopefully get it passed there as quickly as possible. This bill, Bill C-21,
1: is going to save lives. What a joke! AR fifteen style. Joke. I'd love to hear him define yeah. AR-15 well, they, yeah. no, AR fifteen style. people think AR is right. an assault rifle. It's Armalite rifle, by the way. But the lack of just information, the lack of understanding, the fact that as these handgun bans come into effect. We see gun violence and violence generally increase. Not to mention, I I, I saw a tweet from some MP, doesn't matter who, liberal MP, saying that, oh, this is what democracy looks like. Well, actually, if you study the course of human history, disarming the population is very often the opposite of what democracy looks like. It's what totalitarian regimes that don't like the potential of someone pushing back looks like. And if you were to take one instance on its own, say Bill C-21, well, that might be something. But when you're talking about all the other legislation on the paper, on on the table restricting what content you can see see on social media regulating what content is permitted on the air is regulating who's allowed to ask questions and now taking away people's firearms that aren't being used for violent crimes Uh, there's a pattern there that becomes very hard to deny
0: well and you know on that point you you look at his face and what he's saying during that whole thing and I, i understand why somebody would be concerned about what he's implementing but who actually cares about him implementing it? A bunch of people who are misled about gun violence? I mean, really, yeah. that is, that's is—that's what it is at the end of the day. It, it, who cares that you're gonna ban legal guns? That that doesn't do anything for crime. That <laughs> when, when was the last time a bunch of gangsters made sure that all their guns were registered, right? I mean, people can 3D print guns in their own home at this point, and you're stopping people who are trying to and it, it, it painfully so, trying to s- go through every legal hoop they can imagine or the government can imagine, in order to obtain the firearms they have every right to obtain. And that, that's the big problem here, is this actually does nothing to stop crime. And let's say, like what, should there be a, a knife ban in Winnipeg? Like, w- w- it's not the guns that are murdering people, it's people. And those guns that some people are obtaining, generally speaking, if they're going to use them for nefarious activities, they're going to get them in nefarious ways. This whole bill does nothing and should please nobody. But at the end of the day, they're still going to push it.
1: Uh, There are two more key articles that I want to get to today before we wrap up, but let's jump to one more ad break. We'll come back. We're going to talk about uh, the the failing addictions program, uh, rather rather the lack of addictions recovery programs in BC and the massive deaths that are resulting, as well as one of our headline articles, uh, the carbon tax. But first, uh, we'll just jump to a quick ad that we'll come back, touch on those issues, uh, read your chats, and then we'll call it a day.
4: Have you checked out the fresh new swag we have at rebelnewsstore.com? Like this nifty resistance trucker sweater. We have warm cozy sweaters, t-shirts, mugs, hats, phone cases, you name it. Everything to fit your freedom loving needs or maybe even trigger a liberal family member or friend. And for a limited time, you can use code TAMARA10 at checkout to save 10% off of your total order. So head on over to rebelnewsstore.com, check out all of our new designs, make some purchases, and use code TAMARA, that's T A M A R A, 10 at checkout for 10% off your order. Head on over, check it out.
1: Yeah, let's jump straight into this clip uh so we have time to get to it, um, of Stephen Gilbo um talking about clean fuel fuel regulations, uh, very much in line as we talked about with Rachel Notley's comment. Um these limitations will will drive innovation. I know that's the policy that most people believe in imitation driving uh or limitation driving innovation. Let's grab let's grab this clip right now.
0: The truth is that the Conservatives have absolutely no plan to do anything to fight climate change and will set our country back on making promises towards a cleaner economy. When it comes time to ask the oil companies to reinvest their record
3: profits in the innovative solution in clean technologies, the Conservatives immediately back down.
0: We're proud to support the Clean Fuel Regulation, which, when fully implemented, is already contributing more than $2 billion in the last year alone, Mr. Speaker, to the Canadian economy. Thank you, the Honourable Member. Truth is that-
1: yeah, so some some questions about the facts there. What do you think of that, Sid?
0: Well, I mean, Greenpeace activist Stephen Gilbo, who once climbed the CN Tower and failed to criticize or adequately criticize uh, the oil sands in any capacity. I mean why should I be bothered with his advocacy for environmentalism when that's exactly what it is? He's not coming to this from a perspective of the the, the world international body. Well, I can't even say that anymore because those are all corrupt. But um, he's not really coming at this through uh, an in-depth logical perspective. He's He's advocating for the same activism that he's been doing his entire life. And he figured out how to make money doing it. So he keeps doing it.
1: Yeah, and you know, this is this is these comments have been sort of criticized broadly. Um, the, the the sort of fake news that's being pushed um, that that this is going to benefit farmers, this is going to drive innovation. Um, <clears throat> Scott Mo um, actually weighed in on this, this in this, this premier, um, talking about much in line with uh, the, the, the comments made by Danielle Smith during the debates that this twenty thirty. Narrative is not possible, and that in order for this country to survive, in order for there to be affordable uh, resources there available, that coal-fired uh, resources will be needed. Um, so, if we could just jump to that clip, that'd be greatly appreciated. If where we've come to in this country is when uh, you know individuals in in this province or any other province uh, flick their lights on or their or their furnace fan uh, kicks in, that um, you know that's deemed illegal and cause for uh, someone to. Uh, you know, someone to, to go to jail, come get me. I mean, we're standing up for an affordable, reliable power uh, supply here in Saskatchewan. If where we've come to in this country is when... Uh, you know, it's it's great to see politicians speaking like that, standing up saying, no, enough is enough. This is sort of fake news, fear mongering by the Liberal government, by someone who's lit, like you've mentioned, I think we've been charged for his eco activism, some might say eco terrorism. Um, For a politician to say, you know what, come get me, I'll go down with the rest of these people who are just trying to keep the lights on, who are just trying to pay their bills, um, if Daniel Smith is elected, um, if if Mo is in power, Um, there's a sort of Western bloc developing, we're going to talk about BC in a second, but there's a sort of Western bloc developing, saying no, enough is enough, we've seen pushback on firearms, we've seen pushback on the social media censorship, the, the sentiment, even in public opinion and polls, is starting to turn. I think I think the Liberals are in their death throes um, and they're trying to do as much as they can in the time that they have left. Not saying Pierre will necessarily win the next election, but I know that uh, Trudeau's time uh, it's probably running short. And I think they know that very well. Just a moment ago, I talked about um, BC and, and their troubling overdose numbers. If we can just pull up that article, we'll just look at it really quickly. I'll pull it up myself here. Um, So Premier David uh, Eby says the latest overdose death numbers uh, provided by BC Coroner Service are profoundly troubling as the province continues to face the challenge of toxic illicit drugs. Um, The the Coroner Service said that they killed 206 people in BC in April, raising to 814 the number of overdose deaths so far this year. Um, People can check out that article for themselves, but I do want to juxtapose and contrast this approach that has been taken in BC that has been, despite Rachel Notley now trying to deny it, advocated for by a number of NDP MLAs. um, This sort of harm reduction, safe injection site mentality that keeps people on a perpetual cycle of drug abuse how it simply is not working, and it also is not at all compassionate. It it is in concept, you can say, well, you're not actually affronting on anybody and you're not forcing anybody into treatment. Well, I don't think any one of us, for someone we loved, a family member, a friend, would advocate for just providing them with free drugs and letting them destroy their lives. Um, What the UCP announced at this recent announcement, and perhaps we can uh, cut use the social that was edited together of that powerful announcement after we've gotten through the super chats to wrap up today. But the the conversations that were had, uh, Mike Ellis, the minister of public safety and emergencies, a former uh, street cop, has seen it all, he was emotional and teary-eyed. I also spoke with Chief Roy Whitney, who said that these people who are on, on, on Sutina and on many First Nations uh, reservations, they are human beings who deserve care, who deserve compassion, and who deserve to have their lives restored. Um, these general progressive policies that profess to be compassionate, but ultimately result in people dying from state-provided overdoses, um, well, that's not compassion at all. And that's not what Alberta's about. We stick up for each other. We stick together. Um, and I hope that this Alberta model that Premier Danielle Smith is so proud of, of actually providing care, cutting the $40 a day that the NDP was charging addicts, providing those opportunities and enabling parents. Listen, if someone's dealing with a mental he- health crisis or uh, is incapable of managing their own lives, there are interventions that can take place. This offers that opportunity and extends that opportunity um for for parents concerned friends um police authorities to intervene and help a person um as as these people who've struggled with addictions attested at the time they were addicted they didn't want this help as soon as they were recovered they were so incredibly grateful brought to the point of tears and that's why you had a stage full of people who've lost people or who have struggled to addiction themselves um, outstanding in support for First Nations chiefs or elders, um, and the community at large rallying behind this. This, for me personally, is potentially the strongest and most critical issue, because as much as jobs matter, as much as Uh, All these other things matter. The fact that addiction has made downtown cities unsafe and the fact that these people are being left in squalor, these people are being left to suffer and they're being abandoned is absolutely unacceptable. It is a test of the soul of Alberta. And I think only one party presently has an adequate response that acknowledges both individuals' freedoms, but also the responsibility to care for everybody. Yeah.
0: Well, and you, you can take care of the people that have been affected by these issues, those who have been struggling for years and are beginning to struggle with serious addiction. But you also have to look at the cause for this. And you, you touched on it as well, in part, the pharmaceutical industry and, and the kinds of medications and the kinds of uh, almost enforcement in a way, uh, or pressure that they put on people to get uh, to start using certain drugs that are, are extremely addictive and can be extremely dangerous. And then the mismanagement thereafter, once ascribed to these seriously addictive drugs, it, 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 it's horrible. And then they get cut off one day. And then all of a sudden, the thing the doctor told them that they needed, they can no longer get. But they're still left with the residual effects, the dependency that they feel. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of them do seek that out in other means. And if you really want to solve this problem, yes, you have to help the people that have gone through it and are going through it. But you also have to stop more people from having to deal with this. And one way is, I think, to, to put big pharmaceutical industries in better check
1: certainly agree to that well folks that is all the time we have for today I think we're going to rip through some of these super chats again these chats or rumble chats a, a way for you to interact with us a way to have conversations but also ultimately a way for you to support us help us have the lights on we don't get those big handouts from the government um so I don't know Sid do you want to read these do you want me to read them
0: uh sure take up the first one there and then I'll pick up it
1: Wonderful. All right, so our first chat here, $10 from a longtime viewer Fraser McBurney. In the mail, I usually get junk mail or bills, but today I got a surprise. Three letters from Hamilton Court dismissing the last three tickets I got. It was like the sort of Damocles lifting off my neck. Well, that is wonderful news. There has been a lot of legal successes, victories, um, some of them through our Fight the Fines initiative, some of the uh, legal efforts we've had on behalf of pastors, um, helping them fund their legal defenses. So it's incredible to see um, that the courts, maybe not always, but often are getting these things right, and tickets tickets are just being dropped uh, massively across this country. Thanks so much for sharing that incredible news. Um, I think we also have... Go ahead, yeah, go ahead.
0: No, congratulations is I was saying there.
1: Yeah, awesome. I think Yankee and, uh, also used uh, the the Rebel microphone with a $1 donation, our own Yankee Pollock. Um, and that's that's a, that's a new Rumble feature you can access, correct?
0: I believe so, yeah. So there's certain Rebel News specific emojis uh, that you can use in comments on Rebel News uh, live videos on Rumble. Uh, Not YouTube or the other platforms, especially not YouTube. Uh, They're just horrible, as you know. But Rumble is the place to be. And with these new features, it is a little more exciting. And we do hope to have more engagement on that platform. Wonderful.
1: And then do you want to grab the last one?
0: Is that a, I see another one from Fraser here, uh, $5. Saturday, May 20th, the world kicks off a worldwide rally. If you live in Hamilton, shout out to studio producer Efron, who should join. Uh, join him at City Hall 12 noon. Let's have some fun. Awesome. So I know yeah, Efron's going to be in attendance now. No, I'm kidding. I'm not, yeah. I, I can't speak to who <laughs> on the weekend.
1: Yeah, incredible. Well, thanks so much, everyone, for watching today. It's been a blast. Do, I encourage you again, look back to yesterday's live stream where Ezra Levant did a sort of in depth with his uh, sharp legal mind analysis of the uh, the ruling on Daniel Smith and that conflict of interest. Um, you can also look back and check out our coverage of last night's leadership debate. As always, all of our coverage for this leadership election uh, is at albertadecides.com. A lot of conversation in-depth analysis uh, interviews with some of these MLAs. So uh, the election's sneaking up on us. Um, We'll have, I believe, one more of these Alberta edition uh, election-focused talks next week. And then Monday after that, well, that's election day. So we're looking forward to seeing you one more time. Uh, As always, I want to thank you all so much for tuning in wherever you're watching us. Uh, Special thanks to my co-host today, everyone in the studio. And as always, we want to thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, For Rebel News, he's been Sid, and I'm Adam Sos. Thanks.